Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, not necessarily because I'm preaching or I have profound things to say, but I believe the Lord has some very profound things to say and very profound things in our midst. So we're doing this thing called Unleashed Church. And let me explain this because this is ultimately a vision that the Lord's put on my heart and on my mind since um, about two years ago. And really, here's what it is. It's to open our eyes to, to the means by which God enables us to live the Christian life, gives us entrance into the Christian life, enables us to live the Christian life, and, and promises the fulfillment of the second coming through the work of Christ. And so, um, let, let me explain it this way. My desire and my goal is to, to open our eyes to the context for how God wants um, to show us the way Christianity works. Um, so my kids, uh, the other night, Tobin was taking a bath, and he called me in to uh, the bathroom, and so I go in there, and he's, you know, laying in the tub, and the water's draining, and it's almost out, and he's like, Daddy, look, and he points at the drain, okay? And I'm like, what's, what's up, buddy? He's like, look, and he's just kind of like staring at the drain, and he's like, okay, what's going on in the mind of my three-year-old boy is the water is disappearing. Where in the world is it going? Okay, and he has no concept. Now, some of you probably don't either. Um, that's okay, I'm about to explain to you. Um, okay, so, so in, in the mind of my three-year-old son is, what's going on with this water? It's just disappearing. Well, plain and simple, there's a piece of plastic underneath the tub that attaches to the drain. It's called PVC. And the PVC comes off the drain, and it goes at a 45-degree angle. Hope there's no plumbers in here, because I'm not a plumber. Um, it goes at, this, at a 45-degree angle to the stack, and the stack is what vents all your drains out, your, out the top of your house, and it goes to your sewer lateral that goes to the main. And so the water goes out the tub into the stack, the same place all the, when you flush the toilet where all that's going, okay, and it goes out to the sewer. Okay, it's, listen, it's not rocket science. It's not. But for a three-year-old kid, yeah, it is. He, he has no concept for how to understand how that actually works. And here's what I believe. I believe that there are many Christians today that that's the way Christianity is. They have no fundamental concept for how does this thing actually work? Like, how do I do this thing called the Christian life? Now, now listen. The Christian life is possible. And as we journey through Unleashed Church, listen, God isn't doing a new thing. Okay, there's a DC Talk song that came out in like the 90s. Like, God is doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing. God is doing... You remember that? You can YouTube it. There's like an eight-year-old boy who did this like Michael Jackson dance, and they, it's like viral, and then they went and found him, and he's like now 30 or 40, and they interview. It's, it's pretty funny, but listen, Unleashed Church isn't God doing a new thing. It's a desire to open our eyes to what God's always done and always been doing, and the means by which what, what we read in the Word what you read in the Word, 
what your Christian friends challenge you in, what Rick and I, Sunday to Sunday, challenge you in to be and do as the people of God. God didn't jump ship and abandon us and say, good luck with that mission. No. He said, I'm going. And when I go, I'm going to leave somebody. My spirit, the living God. So this morning, we're going to talk about life. And how do we define life? And we're going to get kind of introductory on the Holy Spirit, and we're going to dive in. Specifically, the Holy Spirit Thursday night. And so we're gathering also on Thursday nights from 6.20 to 8 p.m. Encourage you to be there. Also created a resource and a website. This field guide is on the back table. If you haven't received one, grab one. It's also available at unleashedchurch.org. Because I believe this is fundamentally life-changing. Not be, listen, not because it's a new thing. Because it's the thing that God has always been doing. And we need to be awakened to it as, as the church. And so... Um, let's, let's talk about this. So my goal in this whole thing is to, to help lay a foundation for, for us to live and walk as the Spirit-filled people of God on mission with the gospel. Here's what's awesome about this. So this is kind of brand new news, and I don't even know if I have permission to share this um, from the elders, but I'm going to um, assume I do. So after we're done with Unleashed Church, um, we're going to be launching into community groups Okay, life-on-life groups that are going to be intentional in one another's lives for a long season of time and in the community for a long season of time, okay, which is impossible without understanding how this thing works, okay, how the Christian life functions, how we as the church interact with the life of God alive in us, okay? And so um, I know that's, that announcement isn't news to a lot of you, but maybe some of you and it's exciting to see the trajectory which God's going. Um, so, we're talking about life this morning. Um, m- m- many of you maybe know, maybe you don't, um, that January, the month of January is known as the, the Sanctity of Life Month. Okay, where 41 years ago, the, the Supreme Court um, ruled in the Roe versus Wade decision to allow abortion, right? And it's been this fight and this battle since, since then. Okay, and, and this month is all about opening people's eyes to the reality and the, the heinous crime and murder and, and abortion. Now, I, I don't, my goal isn't to talk about abortion or argue any of those points this morning. But what I want you to see is this, that life has been this debated topic since that time, but since the beginning of time. Like, how do we define life? How do we define when life begins, when life ends, what really authenticates living how, how do we define that? Now, I, I want to answer that question. I want you to go to Luke chapter 12. And I want to answer that question. And my goal isn't so much to answer it physically as much as I want to answer it spiritually. I want to answer it spiritually. Luke chapter 12. Um, let's pick it up at Verse 13, um, a little context, Jesus is teaching the crowds. So there's massive crowds around him, and he's teaching them as he did often. And in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, so someone, someone's bold enough in the midst of this mass of the people to stand up and to confront Jesus and, and, and say to him this, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance 
with me. So he's, he's like, help me. You're, you're the teacher. You have authority. Get my brother to give me what's mine. To divide the inheritance among me, with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge over, or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so this guy's wanting the, inher- the, the possession of the inheritance. And here Jesus is like, you're missing it. You're, wa- you're wanting that as a means to define your life. That doesn't define life. The circumstances around you, what's in, what you can hold in your hands, does not define life. Verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself what shall i do i have nowhere to store my crops you ever get that i mean like so we lived in our house a year and we moved out of a basement into a nearly 1600 square foot house and after a year we're like gosh i need a bigger garage i need a bigger basement we lived in a basement now our, you know, it's like we, we gather and we gather and we gather. I mean, just like this. W- w- what does this guy do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. Maybe I'll rebuild the garage this afternoon, babe. I'll tear down my barns. And I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. We just sit back and we look at what we've acquired. Now, I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with enjoying the blessings of God. And there coming a day in our life when you sit back and you see the hard work of your labor and the blessings it can have on others. And on your family. Okay. But here. What this guy's doing is he's. Defining life. By what he has. Okay. It's the whole. Build my business bigger. Get a bigger house. Get a bigger car. Position my life in such a way where it's comfortable. And it's convenient. Creating safety nets. And on every level. Now there's wisdom in life. And all those things aren't necessarily sinful. Okay, but when they become to define life, there's a problem. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's a hard, that's a hard thing to think about, right? I'm not going to sit up here and be like, just, just digest that. Like what you have will be someone else's, so don't get anything. Like, okay, like that, that's, it kind of gives us some balance, but it's not going to make us go sell everything because one day we're, someone else is going to have everything we have. It just gives us some perspective. Like that one day, like, my car won't be my car. My house won't be my, somebody else is going to live in there. Okay, that all of our possessions will be stewarded by someone else and taken care of by someone else. I think it kind of helps us live a, more, a little more open-handed, doesn't it? The things you've prepared, whose will they be? So it is. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So it 
seems to be that in the parable, Jesus is saying that the answer, the definition of life is being rich towards God, having God. Earlier, Jesus is like, watch out, be on your guard. Your life isn't defined by these things. But you got to get God. Okay, so let me, let me ask this question. Here, here's, here's the question we need to answer. How do we possess God? How do we possess God? God, and I think the answer might surprise you. Go back to Ezekiel 37. It's to the right of Psalms. I know Psalms is a staple in your Bible. You know exactly where that's at. Ezekiel 37. I believe it will also be on the screen. I want to use an illustration from the Old Testament that I believe is an illustration um, so you have Ezekiel, this is um, after the exile has happened, so it's pretty dark and grim in um, these days. And so here you have Ezekiel who's, sta- who's in this valley, and this valley is full of bones. Okay, all these bones everywhere, it's a pretty gruesome picture. And, and God comes to him, and, and, and what he wants to do is he wants to give Ezekiel a picture of the restoration power of God. Okay, that in the darkness of the day, I have the ability to bring life, to define life, to make it not about these bones that lay here lifeless, but to make it about me. And so he says, uh, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to show you this. We're going we're to breathe into them and we're going to bring them to life. And so pick it up at verse 7. It says, and so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Okay, so stop for a second. Let me point to this illustration that I think is somewhat powerful picture. So you have a physical body that would, I don't know, maybe... Look something like ours? That although it looks like this, it's lifeless. Okay? How, how many people, how many people live today that have the appearance, the illusion of life, the illusion of living, but aren't living? They're not living because God's not alive in them. Because look at what happens. This is the, then, this is verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O spirit, breath, same word, and breathe on them, on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the spirit came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Okay, so here, Ezekiel is depicting the, this restoration picture of Israel. After this dark reality of God restoring this army. Verse 11, and then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are clean cut off. Okay, now this is a this is a powerful realization right here. 
Notice what they say. Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. Okay? How, how many people live their life pursuing life but don't ever really come to the realization that they're really dead? Because the problem isn't that we're good, that we're bad and we need to be made good. The problem is that we're dead and we need to be made alive. That's the gospel. That's Ephesians chapter 2. We're dead in our sin. And they come to the realization, my hope's lost. I don't, I don't have life in myself apart from God coming and, and doing a work. And maybe that's the confession we need to make this morning. And even as Christians, that the, God isn't alive in us. And our hope is lost to the extent that we continue to live that way. You hear that? We've got to be careful. This is Christians like, we don't lose our hope. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. What a picture. What a picture that is for here, this nation. And I believe is an illustration, and we could point to numerous texts in the New Testament which show God bringing life. From death, open your graves and raise you up from your graves. And maybe, maybe we're living in bondage to the life we're pursuing. Oh, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And I will open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O oh my people, and I will put my spirit within you. And you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. So here's the question that we're trying to answer. I'm using Ezekiel 37 to answer. Is how, how do we possess God? How do we get God? I don't think that's the right question. We don't. You're like, I'm listening. Some of you look like you've uh, started that workout for the new year. How do we possess God? We don't. The, the, the definition of life isn't in us getting God. It's in God possessing us. It's in God getting us. Where he comes to live within us. Now, let me explain the difference. Okay? Let me explain the difference between us getting God, God getting us. Um, so I want to explain it by this thing I'm going to call the illusion of obedience. So this goes on fairly often in my home. Um, let's use this example. So let's say my kids are, are watching a movie. It's about bedtime. And they're watching a movie. And, uh, and I come in and I'm like, um, guys, you're supposed to be going to bed. Why are you watching this movie? Oh, but, 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 Daddy, but Mommy said, Mommy said that we could finish the whole movie. Um, that's funny. Um, who's in charge of Mommy? Daddy. Okay, very good. Okay, now, um, I really do say that, okay? I'm not just giving a joke. I really, we really do say that. It's called spiritual leadership. 
That's another topic for another... Anyway. <laughs> so... So, but, but picture it, picture it going, going this way, okay? So, so in, that, in that moment, here's what they're doing. Um, they are using mommy, creating the illusion of obedience. So let's flip it, okay? So, so I come and I say, um, guys, what are you doing? Oh, we're watching a movie. Ma- mommy said we could. Okay. Um, after you're done with the movie, we're going to have ice cream. Okay, dad's in charge of mommy, right? So, um, so the movie's over. We're, we're eating ice cream at the kitchen counter. Mom comes in. This hasn't really happened. I'm using this as a hypothetical illustration. This specific instance. So, so mom comes in. And she's like, what, "What are you guys doing? You're supposed to be going to bed. Why are you eating ice cream?" Mommy, daddy said. That we could have ice cream. And mommy, who's in charge of you? Okay, now, now listen. It's the illusion of obedience. Here's why. They know they're supposed to do what I say. They know they're supposed to do what she says. And in that moment, all they're doing is creating a win for themselves. Okay, so when I confront them about, you're supposed to be in bed, why are you watching a movie? We're just trying to obey mommy. Mommy said we could watch. Okay, well then, well, you know, we come to the whole ice cream scene. Mommy comes in, why, why are you eating ice cream? Well, daddy, like daddy said, it's the illusion of obedience that in the end it's just their own selfish gain. Okay, this picture of of us trying to possess God, I believe oftentimes can be just us getting from God. Just us taking from the hand of God that has very little to do with any sense of sacrifice and giving up of yourself. Because here's the reality, is that the call of the Christian life is for God to take ownership of us. That through the work of Christ, and we repent and believe in the gospel, at that moment, the Spirit of God comes to indwell the believer if you need outworking of that, Appendix A right here is the outworking of when we get the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Spirit of God comes in to all the believer at the moment of salvation. He makes us alive to himself. And the reality is that he lives within us. And that's what defines what life is. And where he guides us and where he remains in possession of us. And we find hope and meaning in how we handle the things that we live around, the things we hold in our hands, the job that we have, the business that we're building, and we're seeking to, to honor the Lord in, the children that we're raising, and we're seeking to honor the Lord with, the children that we don't have but want, the significant other that we don't have but want. We're not defined by those peripheral things. We're defined by God in us, the life of God in us. And the problem with humanity is we have this uncanny ability to just long for ourselves. When God wants to possess us through his spirit, it's the promise that was throughout all the Old Testament. God's sending his spirit. Okay, Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37, you can check out Joel 2, 28 and 29. The promise of God sending his spirit, the promise of Acts 2. 
this hope-filled reality. But listen, even the Apostle Paul struggled to live in it. Okay, go to Romans 7. Verse 21, we'll pick it up. Paul's in this battle with his flesh. This battle to defeat sin. This battle to really be alive. He's like, I just can't get it. Verse 21, he says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Do you ever feel that way? (laughs) Every single day. Evil lies close at hand. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's like, I want to be alive. How how do I get out of this body of death? And you know what his answer is? Romans chapter 8. What's the little black title of Romans chapter 8? Anybody? Life in the Spirit. Um, Let's look through it. We'll look at it more in depth next week, but notice what it says. There is therefore now no, like, okay, so let me stop. Listen to the life-giving truths that are present here by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now listen, listen to what happens. Listen to what happens. We're not alive to God. We're not possessed by God. We're possessed by every other form of demonic influence and sinful activity. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. It's itself. We don't call it demonic, but listen, it's demonic. Okay. In a few weeks, we'll talk about spiritual warfare and the influence of the enemy. And the sinful realities are demonic. Demonic influence. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, this is the promise, the truth for Christians 
Okay, you're sitting out there and you're a Christian and you're battling in your marriage. You're battling with sexual sin. You're battling with your anger. You're battling with your money. And you're trying to find hope. You're trying to find life. You're trying to find answers. Here's the truth for us as God's people. You, however, you're not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So Spirit-filled, the, the reality of the Holy Spirit in your life is the tangible evidence of your salvation. Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. You hear that? Man, the same God. It raised the Son of God from the tomb after three days, conquered sin and death. Do you know He dwells inside of you right now if you're a Christian? Now, you may not realize it. You may have been grieving Him, quenching Him, resisting Him. Okay, which we'll talk further on a future Thursday night. But the same power is available to us. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Because he lives in us. So it's not like God's with us. Like, hey, go out and, you know, do your business deal and God is with you and will help you. God is in you. And Jesus even said, when you stand before the authorities, don't worry what you're going to say. Because the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say in the moment. That's not a helper that's like this buddy, like, hey, I need advice here. I don't really know how to handle him. Well, I think you should. No, he's the one who's living it out. If he's not living it out through you, you're done. You might as well quit. This is transformational. This isn't new, right? I mean, can you, like, those of you that have been around the Bible a long time, you've been in church a long time, I'm not talking about anything new, am I? No. This is the hope for us as Christians, is that God's in us. Verse 12, so brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We'll talk about that in the future. How do, you, how do you defeat sin? By the Spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then I love these next couple verses. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Sons. Listen to the identity language here. The identity that we have. The power of God. The strength of God that we have. And then the, the voice of God. Does anyone hate themselves like I often hate myself? Does anyone beat up themselves like I often beat up myself? Does anyone wish you could just defeat the thoughts in your mind? Like I wish I could defeat the thoughts in my mind. Here's your answer right here. It's verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that you are children of God. It's like you're mine. You are mine. 
what you think about yourself, the way you live your life, you realize you're mine. And it's conversation with God, the person of the Holy Spirit, interacting with us on a moment-by-moment basis. This is the call to pray without ceasing. That's just talking with the Lord and letting him live in and through you. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, gosh, here's what I want us to realize this morning, is that life is defined and found in God possessing us, God taking ownership of us. And the beauty is that in that, we get him. But there's no guarantee that if we just seek to pursue him, I want to get him, I want to get him, gonna for in giving we get for in surrendering the Lord comes to possess us and own us and show us the vitality with which he breathed into man and woman in the garden of Eden and said they became a living being So maybe you're here today and you don't know much about how this works. Um, I, I just encourage you to continue in, continue engaging in as we move forward in this and as we respond to the Lord um, and pray together. Um, continue engaging in, okay, the, the reality of who is God through the person of the Holy Spirit and what does that interaction mean for my life. I think Francis Chan was onto something when he wrote that book called The Forgotten God. And the power with which God himself comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. That listen, Christian, that God's in you. And if you're not aware of that, here's the truth that Jesus says. Luke chapter 11 verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And it's not, a, it's not a new Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you've received the Holy Spirit. There's, there's one baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's many fillings of the Holy Spirit. Anytime we grieve the Lord through sin, we grieve the Spirit through sin, when we walk in repentance, you know what we're doing? God's filling us. He's refilling us with the Spirit. He's making us real alive to His Spirit. It's not like when we sin, the Spirit's gone. We just need to be awakened to him. He just needs to be alivened in us. So I just want to call us to to come before the Lord this morning and and surrender ourselves and and maybe confess where we need to confess and ask the Lord to to reveal his spirit where we need to reveal. Um, And I'll just trust the Lord to do what what he wants to do. The Christian life is possible because God's in us. That's the hope this morning. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning 
that you would move how you want to move. You would bring clarity where maybe I've created confusion. That you would lift high the name of Jesus. That you'd show us your ever increasing love to engage with sinful humanity to take residence within us. So God, would you come this morning? Would you unleash your spirit in us that we might be unleashed out into the lives of each other and the lives lives in our community in our world to be the church. And as we continue on this journey that I believe and I pray will be for all of our days here on earth. Would you give us your spirit's life and power? As I pray so often and mean so much, may we never be the same. May you receive all the glory in Christ's name.